Zechariah chapter 12, beginning to read in verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord of Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all of the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Let us pray again. Father, will you take your word and inscribe it in our hearts? Will you imprint it upon every mind? We pray, Father, that anything is not from you, Lord, that you would erase it from my mouth, from my lips, or even from our ears that hear. But all that is truth, and from thy word, Lord, would you imprint it upon each and every one of us, and may we be aware of your plan and purpose in the earth. We ask you, Father, that you would continue to speak, to anoint, to bless, and to help us as we deliver this message this evening to thy people in Jesus' name. Amen. We have here in verse 1 the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. So there we have the burden prophet. Zechariah comes, he says, the burden of the word of the Lord. We have the burdened prophet. Secondly, we have the burdened city or the burdensome stone. And also says then in verse 3, in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. And thirdly, we have a burdened people. A burdened people. It says in verse 3, for all the people that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. A burdened prophet, a burdensome stone, and a burdened people. Something else that we must look at and more for our lengthy introduction to what our message really contains is there is another description of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that we see today in the Middle East there. When we look at it, we see the troubles that are around it. And we're going to look at that tonight. Notice what it says here in verse 2. The Lord says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. Notice, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Now, the Lord has different cups throughout Scripture. There are different cups mentioned. We gather around on the Lord's day and we drink from the cup, which represents His blood when we gather in the Lord's day. That's one of the cups. The cup of blessing is another cup. And here we have also the cup of his wrath in the book of Revelation. Those that know not Christ are under the cup of his wrath. And God is speaking here of Jerusalem being a cup of trembling. In Isaiah 51, this is an earlier prophet, an earlier prophet in Isaiah 51 and verse 17. Listen to what it says. Awake, awake. Stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of fury. Now, what happened here was Jerusalem was coming 
under severe punishment from God because of their sin, their national sin, because of false worship, because of idolatry. The northern kingdom had already been taken away captive some 120 or so years earlier. The ten tribes went northward and up around the Caucasus region. In fact, we're told even in Scripture, as of Scripture, they are around the region of Halaf and Habor, around the steppes of southern Russia there. So the Lord turns his, his vision against Judah now, and he says, you have went like the house of Israel, your brethren. He says, and I have a cup of fury, and you've already drank some of it as a warning, and you have not listened. You see, God is gracious, and in his mercy, he gives us periods, times, or days, or occasions of warning before he comes in judgment. He has warned maybe someone in here, you're not right with me. He's warned someone in here, you're backslidden from me. He's warned someone, you have not walked right according to my word and my ways. And he has warned maybe more than once, and you've come and you've heard the word maybe numerous of times, and God individually, he calls men and women. And he says, I have given you the opportunity, and I am going to pour out my wrath, fury, or my judgment. He's speaking to someone like that, who God has been dealing with, who God has been speaking to, who God has blessed and brought along people to try and help them along, yet they turn from God and walk their own way, do their own thing, go into their own sin, and love to have it so. Here he says that I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. He said earlier, they're going to drink of the cup of fury. He says, I hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling in the same verse, Isaiah 51 and verse 17. He says, I have drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. The Lord said to them at the time in the house of Judah, that's where we get the name Jew from, and he says to them at the time, he says, you are drinking of my fury. Do you want to drink every drop? Do you want to take the very dregs at the bottom? Do you want to wait until there's nothing left of you? We know that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, came and carried them away captive into Babylon, where we read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den, and so on. And the Lord is warning them, look, this is what's happening. You're drinking of my fury, and if you keep going on, you'll drink more of my fury until the cup has been drunk dry. Every drop, it means, even the very dregs. But Jerusalem was asleep. That is, the people of Jerusalem, Judah, were asleep. Even as I said in wrath, God remembers his mercy. And he's waiting on them. Maybe God is waiting on you, sir. Maybe God has been waiting on you, lady. God has been waiting on you, young person. God has been waiting for you to turn to him. God has been waiting, and he's been waiting. He's been merciful. He's been kind, he's been gracious, he's been good. And he is saying, turn to me tonight. Turn to me. Do you want to drink the dregs? Do you want to drink the dregs of the wrath of God? Do you want to drink the dregs of the world and then face the cup of fury? Do you want to take from the very bottom of the cup where the sediment lies? 
Is this how low that we want to go? I wonder when I look around us in our nation, in Britain, in, in, in Ulster even, I wonder how low we must go, what drags we are drinking from until God no longer has a place of mercy but must pour out his wrath, his fury, and his judgment upon the British Isles. Notice this. Israel had gone with the Assyrians, the northern kingdom. The Babylonians, as I said, would take Jerusalem. They had drank at the hand of the Lord, and they were drinking to the food. Now, when we look at it, the cup of trembling, he says, from the cup of fury, now the cup of trembling is in Isaiah 51 and verse 17. The word trembling here really means the cup of reeling. Reeling, R-E-E-L-I-N-G, or the cup of intoxication. And God says, you have become intoxicated. Jerusalem, you've become intoxicated with the sin of your brethren, the house of Israel. You've become intoxicated with the nations around and all the things that they possess. You've become intoxicated with everything but me. What a world we live in. What a nation we live in. What a society we live in. When we even as church have become intoxicated with everything but the Lord. The idea here is also seen and believed by many scholars in Luke chapter 22. The Lord Jesus is in Gethsemane. And he's in Gethsemane and he goes a little farther than his disciples and the weight of our sin and shame starts pouring upon him. The crushing of God's olive in his olive press. Gethsemane, Gethsemane means olive press. In the olive press we had God's olive. It was where they took the olives of the tree and they crushed them that the lovely fruitful oil would pour out. And the oil would come, they would use it for different things, but especially the refined oil that would be used pure in the temple. Here now is God's only begotten Son in Gethsemane, and God starts to crush him in Gethsemane, or God's olive press at Jerusalem. He's crushing him, and we're told as he fell to the ground, it says, and he prayed. The idea is that Christ fell to the ground, and he got up again, and he fell to the ground, and he got up again, and he fell to the ground, and he got up again, and he fell to the ground, and he got up again, and he fell to the ground, and got up again, over and over and over again, because your weight was on him and mine too. He was being crushed. He sweat, as it were, like great drops of blood, the fruitful oil of Christ in Gethsemane, in God's olive press. Now listen to what happens in Luke 22. Jesus prayed, Father, if I be willing, remove this cup from me. Lord, will you remove this? Father, will you take this cup from me? It's so heavy. It's so burdensome. Lord, it's crushing me, Father. He thought he was going to die right there and then and not make it to Calvary. Christ thought he was going to die in the garden. Yet he had to go to the cross that you and I could be redeemed 
And there he cries, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. And scholars think that this is the idea that Christ was, as it were, drinking. He was taking the very dregs of your sin. The very dregs of mine. He drank the fullness of the cup. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but thine be done. He goes to Calvary and he bears our sin in his own body on the tree. And he takes it away from those who will trust in him. Notice this. I have to ask you a question. Which cup are you drinking from? What are you intoxicated with that stops you coming from coming to Christ? Listen to what David said in Psalm 116 and verse 13. He says, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The cup of fury, the cup of wrath, or the cup of salvation. Let me just break that down as the words we write. I will take the cup of salvation. The word salvation there is the word Yahshua. Do you know what Yahshua is when you transliterate it in through Greek and into English? It's the word Jesus. See, Jesus is in the Old Testament because Jesus is Jehovah or Yahweh. I will take the cup of Yahshua. I will take the cup of Jesus. And he says, I will call upon the name. The word name is Shem. It gives the idea of fame, reputation, and glory. And I will call upon the fame, the reputation, and the glory of Jesus, of Yahweh, of the Lord, he says, which is Yahweh. So here we have a cup to drink. Friend, the cup of salvation can be yours tonight. The cup of salvation can be yours tonight to drink from rather than the cup of fury should you turn to Christ to be saved. So in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling or a cup of reeling, a cup of intoxication. And he says that when all the people, he says, may it be a cup of trembling unto all the people. All the people around about it. Jerusalem, cup of trembling, a cup of reeling. And all who have been involved with, if you want Jerusalem, we speak of Jerusalem, we can speak of the Israelite state, the land of Israel today. But all who have been involved with it, especially in these latter days from 1948, have found it's been a cup of trembling to them. It's been a cup of intoxication to them. Notice this. There are those who love the... Israel, if I can say, or the land of Israel, or the people of Israel, the Jewish people. There's different names. People love it, and they're intoxicated with the loving it, or them. And then there are those who hate it, and they're intoxicated with their hate. 
Either way, it's a place that is there for one reason, that people would be intoxicated. You know why? And I'm going to show you, God willing, before the end of this message. God had placed them there. They are the prophesied fig tree that would come. And whether we love them or hate them or like them or loathe them, God says they'll be here. Now listen. We're going to look at some of this later on and dissect just a little bit. They are there for World War III. They are there because all nations will be drawn because of it. Love or loathe. Love or loathe. They have been a cup of trembling or reeling or intoxication. 1948, we've seen the Israelite state uh, coming into nationhood. 1917, we've looked at it, we can't go through it too much. We've seen General Allenby liberated from seven times punishment of the house of Judah. And Allenby on the 8th of December is coming up to 100 years. On the 8th of December, I accepted the, the surrender of the Turkish Ottoman Empire in Jerusalem. And then on the 9th of December, the next day, he gets off his horse, he walks through the Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem, for he says only the king will come through, the Lord Jesus. He walks through there, and he then makes the declaration of religious freedom, and he claims the city. And that's 100 years coming in another couple of months' time. Now listen, in 1948, the fig tree of prophecy, the the Jewish nation came into being. But it was a cup of trembling, and it's been a cup of trembling. I'm just going to throw some of these out here. I, time wouldn't allow me to go any further into them. But listen to this. 1948, it comes into nationhood. 1949, we had what was known as the Armistice Agreements of Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. We had a tripart declaration in 1950 by the United States, Britain, and France. That's why you'll hear of some of those countries around, like Jordan and France are very closely linked to Syria and Jordan and those sort of countries because of the tripart declaration. They were involved in that. Listen, Iraq, we hear of Iraq. Iraq wasn't even a proper state at the time. It was only brought into being. And Iraq was a proxy state of the United States, while Iran, which was Persia, was caught up around the 30s, and it was going to be now a proxy state for war for Russia. We had the Iraq and Iran war, and it was the two main countries fighting proxy through them. We see so much happening here, and then we see this. They pledged to take up action if armistice was violated. So there's an armistice, not a surrender, but an armistice in 1950. And it lasted until 1967, when we had the Six Days War. Then we had after that the Alon Plan, the Rogers Plan, the Geneva Conference of 1973, Camp David Accords of 1978. We then had the Egypt-Israel Peace Treaty, 1979. We had the Madrid Conference, 1991. The Oslo Accords of 1993. The Israeli-Jordanian Peace Treaty of 1994. Camp David of Summit of the Year 2000. And all of them are failing and have failed. It's been a cup of trembling. And then we had the United States, the European Union, and the United Nations, along with Russia, they outlined what was known as the Roadmap for Peace. 
and it failed. 2007 and in 2009, we had the Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. In 2010, we had the Israeli-Palestinian direct talks. And in 2013, and then in 2014, we had the Israeli-Palestinian talks. So it went from the peace talks to the direct talks to just the talks. And everything keeps failing. In 2014, we had the Abbas peace plan. And now they're looking at other things to do. You see, everyone who has gotten involved, whether love or loathe, like or hate it, they have found that they become intoxicated with this place. They are drunken with it. And they don't know what to do with Jerusalem. They don't know what to do. So if you'll excuse me, that is my introduction to the burdensome stone. That is the cup of trembling. First of all, we want to look at the burdened prophet in Zechariah 12 and verse 1. The burdened prophet. Notice what it says here. The burden of the word of the Lord, for Israel saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens. Notice, the prophet is burdened with the word of the Lord. The prophet has a burden to bring to Jerusalem, to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. The prophet is heavy. He's wearied with it. And it comes to a place where the prophet can no longer hold his tongue, but rather he must give that which is truth in order that the people may hear the word of the Lord. You see, explains why it's so heavy on him. Explains why he must give it in the same verse. For Lord of Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, layeth the foundation of the earth. Here he says, I have to give this because the one who has given it to me outweighs all and upholds all creation and all things. The weight of God comes upon him. Now let that be a lesson for us that we think that God is just some little airy furry mystical thing and well, God will do what I think and God is who I believe he is and all this sort of stuff. God is almighty sovereign Lord. We don't need to say, I allow you, Jesus. I've heard this. I give you permission, Jesus. (laughs) I give you permission. What? To the sovereign God of glory? He has said, that he is the Almighty. Jesus is the Almighty God. And notice what it says. He comes to the prophet Zechariah and he gives him this burden and Zechariah, as a man, fights against it. He's holding it. He's burying it. And he's saying, Lord, how am I meant to deliver something like that to this people? People think it would be great if you're a prophet, but I can tell you whether it's a preacher or whether you're a prophet, as soon as you stand behind a pulpit, you're a target. People have their bows and arrows out and their AK-47s, whatever they're using. And this prophet comes and everybody who was used of God were cast away by the public. That's why today anyone who comes with a prophetic word from the Scripture, we find that the public don't want to know because of the day and the hour that we live in. They're either too hard or they're just too heavy or they go too far into it or they're too harsh or they're bigoted. You see, the supernatural 
when it comes upon a man and a woman, will always outweigh what they can carry. And they can but speak the things that they have both seen and heard. Every Christian should be like that. Every Christian should have such a burden in their heart for the lost, for people, burden in their heart to see sin removed from our land, and violence and the debauchery of things. We should have such a burden that without fear or favor of man, we're willing until we have to release it and take the consequence. Am I speaking to someone tonight? I have seen people and God has worked. I'm talking about Christian people now, saved people. God has worked with them and God has tried to bless them at times or has blessed them at times and they have tried to fight against God. They've struggled with it and God has asked them to yield, to give, to do this or that and they have just kicked against the goats. And they've walked with a limp and they were unable to walk properly to walk on a straight line to deploy a straight furrow because God was saying, you know what you need to do. You know where you need to go. You know what you need to give over and to give to me to lay down and yet they fight against him. I'm going to tell you something, sir. Really, friend, brother, sister, you're going to lose. You will lose. The weight of the Almighty will always overcome your strength. There are those who are not saved, and I've seen them. I've seen Christians, and listen, they're like a horse coming out of a fridge. Their face is at length. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have. It's one of the golden gems. That's not theological, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling them. I'm not doing that, no. And the Lord says, you're going to lose. He says, you'll lose. It's better to obey. To sacrifice. And to hearken. The sacrifice of lambs or rams is better. If God's speaking to you and dealing with you, it's better that you give it to him and yield your life over, whatever the cost. Notice, God had come down with a burden to this man. This man realizes his weaknesses, his flesh, his finite mind and heart. Notice what he says of the Lord in the end of verse 12, and formeth the spirit of man in him. You know what he's saying? God who gives me breath. God who's afforded me life and living to this very moment. Friend, God has afforded you life and breath to this very moment. It's coming just after 10 to 7 on a Sunday evening, and God has afforded you a heartbeat. God has afforded you a breath in your lung. Zachariah says, 
This is so heavy. God could take me. Where he taketh me with a stroke. With his stroke. Job says, speaks of the Lord in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God holds your breath in his hands. You can take it away. When the breath comes away, then you go to the grave. And as a tree falls, there it lies. And there it will stand before God. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 25 tells us of the Lord, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So the prophet comes to Jerusalem with this burden. He has to unload it because of the sin, because he sees the people. He knows what they're getting up to. They are partying by this time. They're having, they're having wild parties, drunken orgies and everything in Jerusalem. They're unashamed of it. They're fronting it in the face of God and they should know better. Even the very priests of the temple they have turned to Babylonian Talmudism. They're more worried about the washing of pots and pans and the weightier and the heavier matters of God's law and what he had given Israel. So the prophet is burdened and he's compelled to give the word. Listen to what a prophet sounds like in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19. Listen to Jeremiah crying over Judah. This is before the captivity, and they go into captivity at the time of Jeremiah. Isaiah was the one that we read, and he's saying, look, you're going to drink of the cup of fury. Jeremiah is during the time before uh, Judah's captivity and taken into Babylon. And then we have Ze uh, Zechariah is after some of them come back out again. But listen to this. Jeremiah 4, 19. He says, my bowels my vials, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Jeremiah said, listen, what Isaiah said about the cup of fury and the cup of trembling. Jerusalem, awake, awake. It's in my heart. It's in my very bowels. Oh, do you not realize what God will do with you? Do you not realize what's coming upon us? Do you not realize, friend, how close we are? We do not know the day nor the hour of his return, neither do we know the day or the hour of our death. Notice what he says here. He says, my heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. If you would turn with me to Isaiah 56, if you have your Bible with you just for a few verses, I want to show you what, and even before this, and they got worse. They got worse, but it speaks of the northern house of Israel. One like this before, and now we have those who are in the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah 56 and verse 10. Listen to what the Lord said about those who know better, should know better, and don't preach the word of the Lord. It says, his watchmen are blind. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. 
They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. And if I was to take that into modern day, you know what the Lord's saying here? There are men standing behind pulpits who won't tell you the truth. There are men standing behind pulpits who are afraid to tell you the truth in case they lose their pay packet. There are people on Christian shows, these gospel God channels or whatever we call them, and all they think of is selling bars of miracle olive oil soap. Wash yourself in the shower and claim your promise today. Just send ten ninety nine. And you know, the thing is, it's so tragic, you have to laugh at it. Phone me, big ding, your, spur, your miracle spring water. Miracle spring water. But here's the thing the people love to have it so. And say anything against it, and next thing you're online, I'm waiting on it when I get home. Just, it was two days ago, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said he could not say that gay sex was a sin. The Archbishop of Canterbury. He's a dumb dog. That's the world, the life that we're living in. Now notice, the prophet, he feels so burdened and heavy with it. That is Zechariah. He feels so burdened and so heavy with it, he cannot forbear anymore. While you're in Isaiah, flick back to 46 for me, please. Isaiah 46. And notice what happens here. Isaiah the prophet is speaking about a burden, a spiritual burden, ecclesiastical burden, and it's just a fallacy. It's vanity. There's no substance in it. Isaiah 46 and verse 1, Bel bieth down, Nebo stupeth. Bel and Nebo are the, come from the names of Babylonian gods. For example, we have Belshazzar's feast in the book of Daniel. They tried to, they changed Daniel's name from Daniel to Belteshazzar after the god of Bel. For example, Nebo, there's a Mount Nebo, but then it's called, uh, called also after Babylonianism. And it was called Nebo, and you have in the book of Daniel, you have names like Nebuchadnezzar after Nebo, the god of Babylon, or Nebopolassar, his Grandfather, if my memory serves me right. So these names come in to worship. They come into power. They come into ecclesiastical worship along with these mystical religions. The mystical religion of Babylon. Listen, Baal, bieth thou, Nebo, stoopeth, the idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to a weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. 
they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. What is God saying here? He's saying unto Israel and the house of Israel in the north and the house of Judah in the south. See your idols that you're resting on. Do you see all the things that you're trusting on? Oh, the idol of Baal and the idol of Nebo and all the mystical religions of Babylon. And we find them through religions in our own land. He says, all those things that you're looking at, even the monetary system, all of these things that you're looking at, that you're trusting in, that you're placing your hope in, he says, look at these idols you've bowed down to. They used to move them. They used to lift them and put them on a cart, and the old beast used to pull them along with a cart, and the beast got tired and weary, and they started buckling. And the Lord watching it says through the prophet, you see the gods that you're relying on? You see the gods that you're worshiping? They can do nothing for you. You're moving them, and they're a burden to the old beast. They're a dead, lifeless God. And that's the problem. There's too many people believing in a dead, a lifeless God. I believe in the God who keeps his covenant promises. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God says this to them, and it's the same idea. The beasts are heavy, alone. It's like they're buckling. They're tired. They can't pull it anymore. Just by the way, before we go, let me just leave you on a, high, a higher note there, or a better note in verse 3. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, even to your whore hairs I will carry you. I have made you, I will bear you, even I will carry and deliver you. God says to you tonight who are in Christ, that you who know him, you who love him, serve him and worship him, he says, listen, people are trying to make their way to heaven. People are trying to buy their way to heaven. People are trying to work their way into heaven. He says, there's no such thing. He says, but rather heaven's coming to you and I'm carrying you all your days, even to your old age. God is carrying you, Christian. God is blessing. Look what he says in verse 5, to whom will you liken me? And make me equal and compare me that we may be like. Can I say something? There is no one. There is no one like the Lord. There's none like him. So that's the burden prophet. He has to give this message. Secondly, the burdensome stone or the burden city. He says... Turn with me to Zechariah 12. He says in verse 3, And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. It's the same similar thing, only they're here. This, is, this goes now beyond a prophet. This goes into Jerusalem. This goes into all the peoples then around about. Will you turn with me to 1 Kings? I'm going to give you a little bit of history. 1 Kings chapter 12, please. In fact, let's just look for a few seconds at 1 Kings chapter 11. We have Solomon, the son of David, has, has died. His son Rehoboam is ruling in Jerusalem and Jeroboam, who was a, a well-favored man in, uh, by Solomon, he comes and he wants the burdens taken off the people. 
And one day Jeroboam is out walking and there's a prophet comes called Ahijah. Look at verse 29 just for namesake. And it came to pass, King, 1 Kings eleven twenty nine. 29, it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way. He clad himself with a new garment and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. And he said unto Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall take, she shall have, pardon me, one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Here the prophet comes, takes off his coat, and he rents it into, rips it into 12 pieces, gives him 10. He says, Jeroboam, just not now, but when Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam takes, play, takes over as the king, you're going to take 10 tribes and you're going to rule over them. That becomes the northern kingdom. And at the south, he says, David will have one of the house of Judah, and they become Benjamin and Judah, the house of Judah to the south. And so that's who the prophets are writing about here. So when we, we hear of Jeroboam goes to Rehoboam, and he asks him, he says, you're taxing us too hard. This is how the split comes. 1 Kings 12 and verse 11. 1 Kings 12 and verse 11. Rehoboam comes to Jeroboam. And he says, my father laid you with a heavy yoke. And I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. In other words, I'm going to put even more on you. And more on you. You know what happened? It broke the people. And the Lord allowed it, for he said, this thing is from me. He allowed it to happen, so the people revolted, and they left with Jeroboam, and they took ten tribes with them. The two tribes stayed in the south, southern kingdom with some of Levi, the priestly tribe. And so you can see they got more and more. I will lead you is the same word here for burdensome. I will lead you more and more and more and more. And the Lord says the exact same thing over Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to lead it that people are going to get so weighed down and so bogged down with you, Jerusalem. He says, they won't be able to carry it anymore. That's the idea of it. I'm trying to just build something for you. Here's something, by the way. When you go home, read 1 Kings chapter 16. Because this is going to be the first time that you will read the name Jew or Jews in 1 Kings 16. The first time in all the scripture. Do you know who they're fighting? Israel. Read it when you go home. Israel and Syria, the northern kingdom, come together and they're fighting against their brethren. That is the house of Israel's brethren. The first time, look it up online or look up your concordance and see. Look up Jews. And then Jew, I think, comes after that even later. The Jews are fighting Israel. That is Judah against Israel. Jerusalem is a burdensome stone, and who can carry the weight of it? And the burdensome stone was used, it was also used as a dead weight for torture. They used to stake people out, hand and foot, on the ground, tie them up, and get a heavy rock and place it upon their stomach. And as a weight of torture, they waited until they could no longer hold it. The people were holding as long as they could, and slowly it crushed them until their entrails came out. That was the burdensome stone. That's the burden that, that was put on only in a taxation way upon the northern kingdom. That's the burden the Lord says Jerusalem will be like. In fact, there's many scholars think that you look at the Temple Mount today, and you look there where 
Um, it is believed it was Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Now Islam that says it's their third holy site, and that uh, they believe that Muhammad was 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 taken up into heaven there, and all this sort of stuff happened. There's all the the three great monotheistic religions of 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 uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are all surrounded about this. That is a burdensome stone. People say that was representing, the Lord was looking at this hill. And he's saying, it's going to be like that great rock of the Temple Mount, as it's known, or Mount Moriah. It will be so heavy that they'll gather around it and you'll not be able to do anything with it. And isn't that the truth? Do you know what I believe is going to start World War III? This is me personally. You don't have to believe this. I'm just saying me personally. I believe that when the Jews need to build a temple and the Al-Aqsa Mosque is beside it, it's going to kick off. And that's going to be the draw for Armageddon. I'm rushing to close. Thank you for your attention. Listen, I want to say this, and I want you to listen to me carefully. Don't get me wrong. There are good figs, and there are bad figs. Fig tree, remember? The fig tree is the Jewish people. But there are good figs in Scripture and bad figs, or true Judaites and monks who are not. And down through the years, especially about 125 B.C., there was a man, he was a, a, a soldier priest, if you can call him, high priest in and uh, when Zechariah has been written, and they all 42,000 came out from Babylon, built the temple of Zerubbabel's temple, and so on, there was a, a priest called John Hyrcanus. And he defeated the Idumeans to the south of Jerusalem. The Idumeans, the, when you read of, uh, in, in Scripture of Seir, S-E-I-R, or Idumea, I-D-U-M-E-A, I think of as if I get my spelling right, and Edom, E-D-O-M, or Esau, E-S-A-U. They're all the related same peoples. Now, the Idumeans had a kingdom below Jerusalem, and John Hyrcanus, this uh, Jewish uh, priest, uh, warrior, if you want, captain, he goes down and, and he conquers the Idumeans. But listen, he gets them to, con to convert to Judaism. So they convert in mass to Judaism. So there are good figs and there are bad figs. There are true Judaites, Jews, and there's true, or Israelite Jews, or whatever way you want to call it, and there's, there are bad ones who are not true. There's no blood of Abraham in them, in the sense that they're full-blooded. And so we have, remember Esau, he sold his birthright for, the, for, for, for Jacob's lentil pottage or his stew or whatever you want. Remember he sold that for nothing, thought nothing of it. Well, that was Esau, that's his descendants. And see, there's always trying to outwit and get it back again because, remember, Jacob took the birthright and got his father to bless him. So the Edomite Jews are trying their best. Let me give you a little example on a modern turn on, turn on it. Listen. You've heard of the name Rothschild, haven't you? You've heard it from me many a time. This is a globalist, a world Jewish uh, banking system. Well, you see, they're not true Judaists. Or Edomite Jews. Rothschild, the name Rothschild means, Rothschild means uh, Rothschild. 
or red shield. Red shield, that's what his name means. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, the great red dragon is fighting there. And the Rothschilds and those, uh, those high-ranking bankers who, who rule, the, rule the governments even of the world because of their debt usury system that God hates, by the way. Those bankers are Edomite Jews. There are many even today in the land of Israel. But there are true Judahites there too. I've done a little uh, looking about and I'm told, I, I'm only going by what I had read, and I'm told that, and I know there's a few here, maybe Jennifer and different ones who would go over to Jerusalem and been there many times. I don't know if they would know this or not, but I'm told there are approximately 20,000 Messianic Jews in the Israelite state. And there are 12 Messianic congregations in Jerusalem. But as a nation, they don't bear fruit. There's no fruit. And I'm going to say something. I don't mean to offend. But on the whole, they hate the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate him. Do you know what the Talmud, now not the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the Talmud is the, the Babylonian writings that's come into a lot of their teachings. Do you know what it says about the Lord Jesus? It says that he is burning in hell in his own semen and, and excrement. So it's a burdensome stone. It's a burdensome stone. And listen, whether people say they love it or whether people hate it, Jesus said it was going to be there. <laughs> and he's coming back again. And his feet's going to land that day upon the Mount of Olives. And I haven't seen it. And I was talking to someone recently. He says, would you not like to go and see it? He says, yeah, wait. Says, and then I thought, I better hurry up if I wanted to see it around it. You know why? Because there's going to be a big earthquake when he comes. He's going to sort the whole lot out. <laughs> He's going to sort it out. Thirdly, as a finish, burden people, all them that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered against it. Now, the Zionist state of Israel, as I said, is there for World War III. I haven't time to read this, not all of it. But if you go into Ezekiel chapter 38 and read it, it's what's known as the Russian chapters of Ezekiel to many Bible students, prophecy students. And the Lord says, Turn thy face to Ezekiel against the land of Gog, uh, the uh, and Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesied against it and says, I am a, Thus saith the Lord, I am against thee, Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog is, is thought to be around the steppes of Russia and parts of Russia. Um, and Meshach and Tubal, some say it's the old ancient names for Tubal and uh, uh, Moscow. And then he, he mentions other groups. He mentions Togarma coming with them. Togarma would be an ancient, another name for Turkey. And there's, you've got and all thy bonds with thee, which we'd have Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, uh, all the Stan countries that were in the Soviet uh, USSR breakup of the Union, all those Islamic Soviet countries. And then you would have Gomer, something as Germany. And listen, the way Germany's going at the minute, it may well become a, a, an Islamic state and come over against it. 
And Gomer and all his bands are, Germ are Germanic, Germanic over to that side, the Kossar, Kossar regions and stuff. So he mentions all these. He mentions Libya and Egypt. He mentions Persia, which is Iran, Iraq area. He says they're all going to come against the land. They're all coming. Coming like great hordes against it. And then he mentions another confederate army coming. He says you have Sheba and Dedan. Some believe there are maybe some of the other states in, of uh, the Arab world, but we don't really know. Sheba and Dedan. And he ta talks about the merchants of Tarshish. I believe the merchants of Tarshish are the they had the great British fleet, and I believe it's the British Isles, who are going to, with the United States, they're going to be coming saying, Art thou come to take a spoil? The merchants of Tarshish and all the young lands thereof, the Commonwealth of Nations, are going to come and say, We must back up the mother lion of Britain. Art thou come to take a spoil? It's going to be world war because they're all coming to it. The United States and Britain, and there's going to be all these other nations. World war is coming. And then to finish this in Psalm 83. Tales of a conglomerate, and you can see them actually coming into place now. Psalm 83, and we'll finish with reading some of this, and I'll throw out just one or two thoughts with it as I finish. Turn with me to Psalm 83, and let's just read from verse 6 for time's sake. Let's read from verse 5. For they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom, there's that name. And the Ishmaelites, you know who Ishmael is? The father of the Arabs. Ishmael with Hagar, the Egyptian. Her, his mother, Abraham, uh, lay with Hagar and had Ishmael. Moab and the Hagarines. Gebal and Ammon and Amalek and Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre and Asher. Asher. Also, as joined with them, they have hope on the children of Lot. And do unto them as unto Midian, as unto Sisera, and unto Jabin, in the brook of Kishon. So who are these nations? Let me rhyme these off to you. Edom, we've spoke about those. Ishmael, or it could be the Saudis. And then we have Moab, and later we have Ammon mentioned. Know who Moab and Ammon are? Lot is mentioned here. Moab and Ammon are two peoples who came from Lot's ancestral relationship with his daughters. They had children, and that's who they're, Moab and Ammon come from that ancestral relationship. And they're there, and they're going to say, well, we're coming against them. Gebal, where we find Hezbollah, northern Lebanese, the Hagarines, many believe, is in Egypt. Amalek. Some say that's more Arabs of the Sinai Peninsula. Philistia, Gaza Strip, in other words, Hamas. Tyre, which is again Hezbollah, northern Lebanese, and Assyria, which would be Syria and Iraq. Here he says, they're all going to come on these days. You're going to be trying to carry it, and it's crushing every government that's tried to help it. You're drunk with it, whether you love it, or drunk against it, whether you hate it, and it's going to cause World War III. But Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Jesus is coming.
Jesus is coming again. Now, since the Bible has been proven to be true, written all those years ago and coming in the last days, the last of the last days now, how are you with God? Where are you with God? What cup are you drinking from? Have you been drinking from the cup of the drunkenness of the dregs? Or have you, or do you want to drink from the cup of salvation? There's been a lot there for you to take in tonight, I know. But it shows you that God's word is true. If you're not saved, we want you to see us before you go home. Don't want you to leave without knowing Christ. Don't want you to leave. Every time you look at the news, you'll see the coming of the Lord draws now. Don't fight him. Don't try and carry it anymore. The weight of God will outweigh you every time. The weight of conviction will outweigh you and your strength every time. May you come to saving faith in Christ. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.